Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Tree Life Market has been the choice of over a million growers for heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. Use code GOG15 to get 15% off cover crop seeds. Some restrictions apply. Go to treeleafmarket.com and use code GOG15 to get 15% off cover crop seeds for all green organic garden listeners. Uh, do you have any questions for me? I'm just curious about your podcast a little bit more. I mean, I looked at your site and stuff, but what's, I'm just curious, tell me more about like your mission and who you're trying to reach. Um, so I have been doing this for, I just had my seven year anniversary. I have listeners all around the world. I call them green future growers because we're all kind of dedicated to not just growing our own food organically, but like caring for the planet, you know, um, educating other people about how not to, you know, not having to use pesticides like on our lawns, on, you know, in the environment and just creating um, a healthier mother earth. Yes. Does that Great. help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, cool. And, and the exciting part is that you were recommended by a listener and um, I'm always asking my listeners to either come on or recommend somebody because a lot of the people I've talked to in the last couple of years are like professional authors, gardeners, people like I probably get a garden book in the mail every week now, um, (laughs) which is awesome because I love to read and I love uh, I especially love gardening books. I always wanted to work for Rodale's Organic Gardening Magazine, um, more as like a graphic designer or like an editor or something, uh-huh. uh, because I just love like the pictures and 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 looking at people's gardens. And I'm like the organic eater. I love eating organic food. Although since I've had my podcast, I definitely garden more, um, and and feel pretty confident that I can grow a, a you know a good amount of food. So. Um, that's basically and I am in northwest Montana I originally grew up in New York but I moved to Missoula to go to UMT uh, when I was 21 and I've been uh, I'm up in Eureka by the Canadian border and am I right are you down in Hamilton somewhere yeah, in or Hamilton. like the Bitterroot yeah in Hamilton just outside of Hamilton awesome well I I actually lived on a farm there for like two weeks like not a very long time um and <laughs> I hiked in the Bitterroots. Like I, I have a lot of special memories of like um, hiking there and just uh, being there. So, Bitterroots pretty special. Yeah, it really is, right? Yes. Tons of trails and just beautiful trees and mountains. And I was actually caught in a storm once. Like we were hiking up the trail. We were total naive idiots and like just kept going thinking, oh, and then like literally there were like giant trees on the trail. When we finally turned around, like the wind had blown over. It was the scariest thing of my life getting out of there. So sounds like the Bitterroot. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, and like the only time I ever went rock climbing was in the Bitterroot. Like I just have tons of memories of being there. Um, And one time we hiked all the way from Lolo Hot Springs to, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the trail, but there was some trail that went all the way across 
was pretty cool. And we camped out in the woods for a few days. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, I guess I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Let me just, I should bring up that email um, that your, uh, was it Mackenzie sent me? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Mackenzie, hello from Hamilton. Okay. Because you have a ton going on. And she's, I'm hoping she'll come on and talk about, she said she became a full-time herbalist when she was an organic farmer working at your, is it Homestead yeah. Organics? Yes. Awesome. All right. Ready? Yes. Okay. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, March 18th, 2022. And I'm so excited because you listeners, you know, I'm always asking you guys to come on and share your story or recommend a guest. And today's guest was recommended by a listener who worked um, on uh, the farm that we're going to hear about today. Um, and there's all sorts of great things that, um, let's see. So you're the founder of Cultivating Connections, which is a nonprofit that does lots of different things, including youth farm internships, salads for seniors, social pre presenting, social, some kind of social theater, activities to build relationships and critically think and solve problems in the community, a special ability camp, Mayday Gardens, which are free garden starts in spring and summer reimagining school lunch getting local foods into the public schools and so much more so here today and also a co-founder of the western montana growers co-op which if you haven't heard my interview with um oh my gosh it's andrew malicelli i think um who talked about the western montana growers crop i'll try to replay that interview um was great she also runs a full organic vegetable farm with livestock as part of triple divide seeds so here today to dazzle us is Laura Garber. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks. Nice to be here. Okay, that's why I usually just let my guests introduce themselves. Great. <laughs> yes. Anyway, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Perfect. Um, can I make a couple little corrections? Too? Yes. I'm so sorry. The... I might just wipe all that out because and just introduce you. Like, because normally I don't even read the, I just let my guests, like, even if they send me a long bio, I'm just like, okay, just introduce yourself. And, and now we know why. No, that's great. And there's only a couple things. The introduction okay. was great. But yes, social, go ahead. Social presencing theater. And social presencing theater is um, a series of activities to help us understand the social soil and how we create change by. Um, having a richer social soil. So that's social presencing theater and um, the Western Montana Growers Co-op. I'm one of, our farm is one of the original um, members that helped to start the co-op. So uh, um, not like a founder, but one of the farms that uh, helped to start the co-op in the beginning. Awesome. Well, that that works. Wouldn't that's want to be called enough. the founder. I would want to be called like one of the participant, one of the participating farms. Who one of the founding farms. Farms, yes. That. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead and tell us a little more about your farm, and then I'm going to ask you to explain what social presencing soil, like what does all that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hi, I'm Laura Garber, and um, I am the owner and co-operator of Homestead Organics Farm, which is a certified organic. 14 acre um, farm just south of Hamilton, Montana, and we are growing mixed vegetables and seeds 
We've grown hemp for several years. We raise um, organic meat chickens and egg layers, heritage turkeys and meat turkeys. We have goats, turkeys, geese, um, and a really great location for inviting people in. So from all of that farming, we've really um, in increased the amount of community engagement. And so about eight years ago, we really um, got serious about how we're connecting with community and started Cultivating Connections, which then became its own standalone nonprofit, which is now Cultivating Connections Montana. And that is where all of our educational programs are housed, I would say. And we use our farm as the farm classroom. So almost everything that we're doing on our farm now is through Cultivating Connections. All the food we're growing basically is as Cultivating Connections. And the exciting thing is um, trying to create a model of changing from a transactional relationship between myself, ourselves as the growers of food and the consumers. So the transactional would be like, I grow the lettuce and you pay me $2 for it. So changing from that transactional relationship into um, the kind of relationship where the food is actually the byproduct and the product is the relationship and the learning. So for example, you get the lettuce is, is great and we're happy you had the lettuce. Your $2 goes to paying high schoolers that we're teaching how to be active, engaged members of society and how to be farmers. And um, the kindergartners that came to the farm that helped us to plant the lettuce and the community members that came and helped us to weed and the high schoolers that learned about when you plant lettuce and how to take care of it and they harvested it and washed it, that's the product all of that learning, um, and then you're the byproduct by eating our lettuce. So that's kind of the main goal with Cultivating Connections is um, providing this authentic engagement with agriculture that enriches the lives of everyone along the chain, not just um, I grow it, you buy it. Instead, we're really looking for how do we enrich everyone? So um, that's Cultivating Connections and Homestead Organics is the the farm classroom. And then kind of the other things with Cultivating Connections are community building. And again, using our farm as this amazing um, location where people can be on a real working farm and see real working animals and interact in a real um, seasonal way and then building community through that. So using food as that common denominator so for example, we have a program called Salads for Seniors where our youth farm interns, these are the high schoolers that we've hired to, to learn how to be farmers and learn how to be engaged in their community. They're growing lettuce and then they bring it into our commercial kitchen and they turn it into ready to eat salads that then we take to Meals on Wheels to be delivered because what does a 16 year old and an 87 year old have in common? Possibly only food. And so let's go with the thing that they have in common the food and let's make that be the, the connecting point. And from there, all kinds of new relationships and understandings can grow. So how do you make, like, how do you fund all this? I guess is like, it's a nonprofit and you have like fundraisers or? Yes, the, so the funding is always a trick, a tricky thing for nonprofits. And if I had my way, we wouldn't just have for-profits and non-profits, we'd have community profit organizations that 
but that's not quite how it works yet. So as a nonprofit, um, we are partly in the trying to find grants. Um, so we're partly grant funded. We reach out to our community and ask for people to support us monetarily. And the main, another main way that we're supporting, especially the youth farm internship is by um, our CSA program. So we have um, the weekly share of veggies. And when people join that, they're able to, their, their fee they're paying for their CSA is what we're using to pay the high school youth farm interns that we're teaching how to be the next farmers and the, the upcoming citizens of the world. So it's, it kind of serves two purposes. You're still getting the vegetables and your $500 you spend is going towards creating a future for everyone. And where do they, are they like local high schoolers or do they come and stay? You were saying that you have like a pretty good place for people to come visit. Yeah, both. So our youth farm internship, we're really focused on area high schoolers um, that would come uh, you know, for the day, basically. We also have adult interns that come and stay on the farm and that works out really well. We used to have lots of interns and volunteers from all over the country and all over the world and have been greatly enriched by all of that interaction and loved it. And really thinking about it, we felt like we, we were exporting all of the information and all of the excitement that we have to share about organic farming and community building. And we didn't want to continue exporting all of that. We wanted to really find ways to keep that information local. So switching from finding interns from all over the country and all over the world to finding local high schoolers and, and really feeding them up on how do you be a member of society. Probably U of M probably has college students. I would think that would be interesting because they have a big sustainable ag program or no. Yes, absolutely. And actually, we've had a few of our interns that have that have gone on to well, multiple of our interns that have gone on to pursue oh, nice. higher, higher education in um, the field of agriculture or jobs. And that's that's really part of our goal, too, is is highlighting for youth that agriculture is a real career opportunity and a real place to continue your higher studies. And then we're engaging the University of Montana students to come to come back to the farm and learn with us or to be adult interns. Awesome. So Laura, I always start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like were you a kid, were you an adult? Who were you with and what did you grow? Like did you grow up in Hamilton? Have you I, been doing no, this all your I didn't I grew up in Green outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um and I was in a, a small town that I was in town, but a lot of the kids in my school were rural. And I think one of my first experiences that I remember was one of the girls in my second grade class brought a queen bee for everyone to see for show and tell. And I was so excited about the, the natural world that she brought into the classroom and then realized like I lived in town, not on a, not on a farm right outside of town. And so, um, I started planting trees all around our yard and helped help my mom with the really small garden that she had with full of tomatoes and raspberries. But I think the first thing I remember planting is 
um, pine trees. I was inspired by the bee to what can I do in where I live in town that's at least a little similar to what all my friends who live in the country get to do. So planting pine trees was my first experience, I think, with planting something. And then um, in college, I actually took the PEAS program at the University of Montana, which was the program in sustainability. And it was the very first year of the PEAS program, which was basically how to start the PEAS farm. And I think I got a really unique and special education in how do you even start farming? So the whole year was literally like, here's how we build the greenhouse. Here's how we're gonna track what we plant. Here's how we are gonna sell things. And so I got a really good foundational base of this is how, this is how it works. And then um, the next summer started managing one of the community gardens that was near the campus. And that was my first foray into growing 10 zucchini plants, not just one zucchini plant. And it was also my first um, experience with engaging youth in what I was growing. So I started having kids from one of the youth homes in Missoula come to the community garden that I was managing. And we had taken 10 of the plots and turned them into growing for the food bank and all the rest were individuals. And so for me, it was how do you grow something on a little bit bigger scale and how do you engage young people in a way that's meaningful for everyone? So that's kind of my, how I first dipped my toes into all of this. And, and from there, I was hooked. There was no way I was going to do anything else and um, immediately started my own small farm. Amazing. Um, let's see. So do you want to tell us about the social presencing theater and and what does what's social presencing soil? Yes, so um, social presencing theater is um, I would say like a series of activities and ways to engage with people. It's it's um, created by Arawana Hayashi through the Presencing Institute, and the Presencing Institute is um, a resource I would highly recommend to everyone and really the, the, the gist is how do we be present for ourselves and each other in this, these moments of disruption, which we're experiencing right now. So from this place of listening and having an open mind and an open heart and an open will and being present for ourselves and with each other, we can create all kinds of new things that we wouldn't have been able to create if we just did the usual of jumping from problem to solution or um, jumping from I see you and I have an assumption about you. So instead, with with being present, we're we're dropping all of those assumptions and really being here with each other. And social presencing theater, again created by Arawana Hayashi and and team members, are activities that help us to see from that that place of being present as we're working together the soil is not just something that we grow plants in. The soil is also what our society grows from and what we grow from. Our, we have our own personal soil and our, the soil of our community. And the richer we make the soil, just like in farming, the, the better and the healthier the plants are. And so the better and the healthier we as people are and the more creative and healthy ideas can grow out of our social soil. So with our youth farm internship, 
part of it is doing some of these social presencing theater activities and theater meaning to be made seen. So it's not like acting, it's revealing how do we function with each other in a social setting. So for example, um, one of the activities would be everyone is sitting on the, the edge of the room and one at a time, one person would walk to the front of the room and stand there and make eye contact with each person that's sitting in a line. And it's about being seen and about seeing other people. And it's it's crazy how like you're in line waiting to be the one that goes to the front and it's really kind of nervous and nerve wracking and everyone's gonna look at me. And then after you do it, it's empowering and um, really feels supported that I can see other people and they can see me. And now we've seen each other. Now we are able to take that next step into what are the ideas or what are the things we wanna to create together. So it just reduces the barriers that we put up on purpose or accidentally. So social presence in theater is this way to, to really garden the soil of society. Something I feel like we really need right now, like that's so important and, and people like not just being like sticking with labels or, you know, we have such a divisive or we've had such a divisive thing in the United States. And it's really nice to hear about projects and especially like bullying in schools, like doing it with the youth. Um, and I'm an elementary school teacher by trade, even though I've been home for the last two years, pretty much just working virtually and tutoring kids online. So I've been in a classroom dealing with that as much. But I still see it. Like, actually, I went and taught puppets um, at the high school with the art club and just sitting there while they were doing their paper mache to hear all the conversations again brought back. Um, they could use some social presencing theater <laughs> for sure. <Absolutely. laughs> um, so that's awesome. And I love the way you connect it. Like you, you talk about like growing a garden community, like it just, and, and helping people grow together. I think that's really important. So yes, what do you want to tell us next? Like usually I would ask what grew well this year, but you have so much going on. Like, I just want to let you talk. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I, you know, what grew well this year is community. I think we all want to be connected and food and farming are really the, the universal connector. And I see it at farmer's market all the time of two people standing there who would maybe never talk to each other because they have these assumptions about each other. But then suddenly they're both talking about spinach and how they prepared it last week and how great it was. And now is the chance that they can talk about other things because the food is the thing we all share and care about. So I think food as our um, food as the way to grow community is really important. Um, but like what literally grew well last year, I'm in Montana and kale does amazing. And I'm a big proponent of kale, I have to say. It does really well in the heat. It does really well in cool weather. Um, it tastes amazing. It's so good for you. And I just, I can't get enough kale. And I, I hope that people can learn how to grow kale. I think that's one of my favorite things to eat and to share with people. And it's a good, also a good community builder because people have their assumptions about kale and you get people talking about it. And now, now they're talking to each other and they didn't even realize that they were talking to the person that maybe they had in mind with someone they would never talk to. So, um, that's okay, two things. One, 
I gotta tell you, I got to go to the Missoula um, Farmer's Market twice last year, once at the beginning of the summer and once in the fall. And it was just, I, I still am dreaming about it. Like I just felt so at peace and just exactly like you said, standing in line to get a cup of coffee or, you know, um, buy, like talk to the compost guy or talk to, you know, the different vendor. Like I have a couple of pictures of some of the um, farmers that just their smiles were so bright. Like sharing their food you know and and talking to the guy with the pepper sauce and just I, it was just so soul reaffirming for me to like I was like these are my people I need to be with these people but then my other question is about the kale because I am struggling like I have my worst kale crop ever last year like do you have any tips for me because it just got decimated by bugs and I like last year was the first year I ever actually put row cover over it but I forgot like three different nights after I watered, I forgot to put the row cover back. And literally like, it was so bad. I couldn't even eat it. Like I'm trying to get it to the point where I can usually could, could maybe take it to market and like sell it. Or at least like if I give it away, people aren't like, Oh my gosh, you have so many bug bites. Cause usually they don't bother me. But last year it was so bad. Like I couldn't even eat it. So you got any tips for me for growing? Yeah, kale? absolutely. And I think this is a really good, um, kale is a really good indicator species for us right now. Um, we had tons and tons of aphids on our kale last year and the year before. And I think it's a, it shows that plants are really stressed by what's happening um, in the environment. So I think it's a good, also another good talking point for people, but aphids are a huge problem. Row cover is a great way to protect kale. And it, you're right, if you forget to put it on, for a, a night, maybe you're okay, but a couple nights, then bugs are in there. Um, I think an, a really great way to stay ahead of bugs with kale is to have multiple crops. So instead of just one one planting, you're going to plant in the beginning of the of the summer. Mm. Maybe it's like every three weeks you're replanting the kale in a different place. So you're going to be harvesting if you have the space. And for a family of of two to four people, you really only need like four plants. So it's not like saying to plant your whole garden in kale, but if you can have your four plants that you transplant as soon as you can, you know, in Montana, at least that would be late April, I would say. And then you can plant another few plants in late May and another few in late June so that you have um, as those plants get bigger and the, the bugs start to really realize where they are, you can pull those ones out that are infested and start eating off of the new ones. I think that would be my best suggestion. And my other suggestion is then enjoying kale in the off season. So if you can transplant or seed kale like late summer, early fall, so that it's going to overwinter, depending on where you are, um, either by being young. So like a plant that's like the five leaf stage is going to overwinter really well, a kale plant. And then in the spring, it's going to come up and it it's a biennial. So it wants to go to seed the second year. So that kale plant's going to come alive in the spring. It's really ahead of the bugs and it's going to immediately want to make a bunch of leaves and then flowers to make seed. And the kale flowers just before they open are, it looks just like broccolini or like broccoli side shoots are the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. Doesn't taste like kale. It, it's kind of like broccoli, but not quite. It's even better. And all the amazing colors that come into those kale 
florets are stunning and so, so to eat something that's hot pink in early April is amazing, I think. Um, so that's my other suggestion of kale is plant it late season so that it'll overwinter. And then in the spring, you can eat all the, the fresh leaves before the bugs have really found it and all those florets and row cover. And if you can't do row cover, it, yeah, it's, it's tough right now. Aphids are smart little buggers. Golden seed, you're dropping more golden seeds. Well, I just, so, our, so we're up by the Canadian border on Highway 93, right uh, north of Whitefish, west of Glacier National Park. And um, my husband has what I call like the mini farm, which is more like our production. And then I do the beds that are like closer to the house and the orchard. And um, I think what I'm going to do is let him grow the kale in the mini farm more this year, which is where he usually grows it. And usually it actually does really well. Um, other than, like I said, it gets some bug bites, but uh, I was trying to grow it closer to the house. What I love to do with kale is I love to freeze it. Like um, I just ate the last of my frozen beet greens. And just like, I just like, I kept telling my husband, I, I was like, I feel like I'm just like the nutrients are just like going through my veins from eating those frozen beet greens. Um, well, cool. Well, I'll try that and put, and actually like where the kale was planted last year, I feel like it's starting to come up and there's even some plants that look like they're like ready to start growing again from so i'm not sure we'll see and oh the flowers you're right i i don't know if i've eaten them but oh they're so pretty i've made so many bouquets with like irises and those pretty kale flowers are just can make beautiful bouquets yeah um, i'll have to try eating them i love to eat flowers that sounds awesome so how about something that you're going to try new or different this year? Maybe that you, if you have anything that you haven't tried before, I mean, it sounds like you've been doing this for a while. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things that we've tried that just don't work in Montana as many times as we've tried them. And I think one of my goals is to, um, not keep trying the things that I've learned aren't going to work. Like okra doesn't grow in Montana without just crazy amounts of effort. And so not going to try okra again, but cardoon is something that does, that can do well in Montana or at least well enough to survive. So cardoon is related to artichokes and you actually, and it's a, like a tender perennial, I guess I would say in Montana. Um, if you're able to protect it, it can live, it can keep growing. And instead of it growing a big flower, that would be the artichoke. Like it's very similar. And that the artichoke is actually the flower and it's all in the thistle family. So instead of going for the big um, unopened flower bud, which is the artichoke with the cardoon, you're really focused on the, the stalks. And so you, you harvest the stalks around the outside of the cardoon and um, they need to be usually boiled in water and then you dump the water out and then you boil them one more time. And the, the flesh is just like artichoke. It tastes just like it. Um, it's a little more bitter if you don't do the second round of cooking, but gets that same flavor and you're not reliant on the one time bud, which would be the artichoke. You can harvest it all the time. Tastes amazing. Um, and then if you do the second year, let it, you do let it go to flower 
So it's going to make a flower that looks like a thistle, that looks like an artichoke, that's really attractive to, to everyone. Um, and you can still be eating the side, the stalks at the same time. So you're not just trying to get the one flower delicious. And then um, if you have it out in the garden over the winter, you leave that flower and it's a really great food source for birds because it, it's like um, the seeds are connected to these little fluffy things like you would have in a dandelion, but the seed is really big. It's an oil seed. So there's a lot of energy there for birds. So then you're also attracting birds that you can watch in the winter when they really need food. So I'm going to try cardoon again this year and I recommend it as something fun and exciting and different, but that you can still have success with in the North. Oh, I love all of that, especially like to me, artichokes, they just always seem like there's just not much to them. And it sounds like there's a lot more if you're eating the stalks instead of just like the, the petals, I guess is what normally you eat in an artichoke. Uh, it sounds like there might be more coming from it. Definitely. And it's just, it's fun. You can still have fun with it, but it's real food. Nice. And thistles usually have beautiful flowers, so I'll bet they are pretty. And it's good to have things for the birds, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. So how about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to? Is there something that wasn't either as prolific as you thought it would be or something that didn't work the way you were planning? Um, well, so we grow a lot of things for seed as well, which um, growing things for seed, I also highly recommend to everyone. It's really easy to grow seeds, um, but it also can engage this whole other part of like farmer gardener brain that maybe you haven't engaged before. So it's not just growing, um, oh, I'm just going to grow lettuce, like growing lettuce and then letting it go to seed and then having that seed for the next year is um, really gratifying, really exciting and, and pretty easy for some crops and a little more challenging for other crops. So again, you, you engage that other part of farmer brain. And so in seed growing, one of the things that was disappointing this year was nasturtiums and nasturtiums are um, delicious. If you haven't eaten nasturtium flowers, I highly recommend it. And this, the like, the tendrils of nasturtium are really good. You can chop it into salads, um, eat it raw. It's really delicious and peppery, but that was a challenge for us with growing the nasturtiums for seed. We didn't quite have a long enough season to get the seeds, but I will try again. And I would recommend everyone to, to try something to grow for seed at least one thing. And the easiest would be lettuce. Like you, you plant your however many lettuces you're going to grow this year in your garden and you pick the most beautiful one and you don't pick it. You decide that's the one you're going to save for seed and it's self-pollinating. So you really only need one plant to get seed. And then you've got lettuce seed for yourself for the next year. And of course, it's better if you can grow more plants to have genetic diversity. For us, we're growing for Triple Divide Organic Seed Cooperative. Um, we have a minimum of 80 plants of any variety that we grow to get the genetic diversity. But if you're, you just have your little garden, you're still going to get seeds from one. And so try it. I'm going to try nasturtiums again. Um, and I'm going to try other things for seed again, because it's so heartening to be a part of that 
history that our grandmothers and our great great grandmothers are here with us in the moment when we hold the seed and this the moment is the most important thing right now because i'm the one holding the seed and my great great grandchildren won't have it if i don't take care of it so being a seed steward is really important and um deep way to connect to the past and the future that you hold both of those in your hand when you hold a seed for sure I mean, like, um, I want to say in Leah Penniman's um, Farming Well Black book, she talks about the woman tucking seeds in their hair when they came over from Africa to bring food. And like, that's been a tradition among different mothers to make sure, or like brides, like their moms making sure that they had seeds was like the most important thing. So they'd be able to feed their children when like, if their daughter was going off somewhere in a, in a strange place to make sure that they were like, you know, provided for. And then the other thing I was going to say is like, to me, it seems like when you let lettuce go to seed, the lettuce that comes back the next year is just sweet and, and usually healthier and just like some of the best lettuce that you can eat. We're not as good about saving our seeds as just like letting things, you know, come up as volunteers the next year, like just self-seeding itself. Um, we had trouble with nasturtiums last year too. It seemed like we weren't growing them for seed, but just like they just did we just didn't get as many nasturtiums as we usually do? I don't know if it was the weather. Uh, well, this is the part of the show we call getting to the root of things. So, do you have like a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? Absolutely. I really don't like thinning carrots. It's so time consuming, but I also feel really bad um, about thinning carrots. So that's, I would say that's my least favorite activity. I love eating carrots, but I don't like thinning them. I hear ya. I tried to do seed tape last year with carrots. So they would grow, like they'd be spaced out evenly. That did not work at all. They just didn't grow. <laughs> I tried it with like <laughs> newspaper and like a flower and water paste. Actually, the biggest problem was like, when I unrolled them, like 90% of the seed, like there was only like three seeds left on each sheet of newspaper. So um, I don't know. I'm leaving the carrots to my husband too. They are usually one of his better crops that he has the most success with usually, knock on wood. Um, and there's a, there's a little trick you can try with carrots that I've tried because I don't like thinning is you can, it's called chitting. You can chit the carrots where you are soaking the seed in advance and getting just as they're about to sprout um, is when you would plant them in the ground. And so you have to do it by hand, but then you can space them better and they're, are, and they're like ready to grow right away. But then you are, have to be very attentive to it's, it's alive and growing. And so they can't dry out. It's a timing thing, but you can chit carrots. Hmm. And there are already such tiny seeds, like I'll bet if they're just about to sprout, they're still super tiny. That's the other thing. I, I prefer sunflowers that are like nice and big, <laughs> but I do like to eat the carrots. Like I'm always so thankful that we have carrots and, and like grows them. How about your favorite activity to do in the garden? What do you like most to do? I, um, I love eating as I go. So taste testing, sampling things. Um, but I also really like transplanting. So if you're able to grow something in a greenhouse or on your windowsill, the act for me of planting that then is, is so exciting. And it feels like the future just happening right there in my hands. So I would say transplanting baby plants would be my favorite activity, second only to eating the things as I work. 
me too. I fell in love with transplanting things last year. Like I, I grew a lot more things from seed and then just transplanting them to like a bigger container. And then I've always loved putting containers into, cause it's like instant garden. Like I have no patience to wait for the carrots to germinate. <laughs> like, I don't know how, like my husband was like, how do you do this? Like, isn't it driving you crazy when the, in the beginning of the spring? But anyway, uh, how about the best gardening advice you've ever received? I think that to be present is the best advice to be present for yourself and for the plants and for the rest of nature, because the garden has so much to tell us and so much to teach us that if we're there and present, we can, we can hear the messages of like, oh, I noticed that that plant really needs a little bit more attention. I'm underwatering it or, oh my gosh, look at how amazing that plant is. Um, or I never realized or that insect. Yeah. And then you see the insects or you, you see the lack of the insects. So I think the best yeah. advice I've ever received is to be present and like be there when you're there and it's good for you and it's good for the garden. And then we're co-creating with nature. Like we are a part of nature. And if you're present, then you're able to actually co-create with it and, and hear and understand what your garden wants from you. For sure. And it really works. Like since I started my podcast, like I find when I'm down in the garden, I'm much more alert to like wanting to do more and like paying attention to things that I never used to pay attention to and just um, really enjoying everything that's going on down there more than just like I used to just go down just to like grab a radish or pick this or do that. Like I think for sure that's great advice. How about a favorite tool? Like if you had a movie to only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? A hula hoe or a stirrup hoe. Um, it, it's like um, probably the best tool I've ever used. You can use it in so many ways and get up close to plants. And I think back to the best gardening advice is cultivate, cultivate the soil, your social soil and literally your soil. And the hula hoe, the stirrup hoe is a really great way to to cultivate the soil and to get rid of weeds and it's easy to use. And I would not move on to another garden without a hula hoe. You are the master cultivator. How about a favorite recipe? What do you like to eat or grow or um, cook from the garden? Well, first I would say anything that contains garlic is great. Um, I love garlic. But I think kale, kale salad is maybe one of my favorite things to, it's not cooked, but that would be raw. That's really combining kale and, and crushed garlic and lemon juice and um, hot pepper flakes maybe, and letting that sit for a little bit so that the lemon juice kind of um, softens the kale, you kind of massage it together. And so it's that really alive feeling of of something fresh, but not the chewing forever on kale that's really tough and tastes really sulfury. So kale, kale and garlic, I think are my favorite things to cook from the garden. And otherwise, um, I would say green beans because they're, they're so delicious when you just pick them and eat them fresh, but then it, it, they change into something else completely delicious when you cook them. My uh, students always like the purple dragon tongue beans too. Have you ever grown those? Yes. Although when you cook them, they turn like yellow, but they would just like, I bring them in for snack and they would, they always ask me like after the fall, they're like, when are you going to bring beans back in? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> um, maybe next year <laughs> anyway, but they love those. Um, 
I was going to ask you about growing garlic because somebody actually called me from Missoula yesterday and she wanted to know two things. Um, she doesn't, you don't peel the skin off the garlic, right? When you plant it, I mean, you break the bulb up into, but you don't actually peel the little things, right? No, you don't. You just break up the bulb and kind of our rule of thumb, haha, is you plant it in the fall as each clove as deep as you can push it in with your thumb. So at least a thumb depth and it, the width between cloves is as thick as your fist. That's kind of our rule of how we plant it in the fall. Yeah, you don't peel it. But if some of the skin had come off when you break up the bulbs, you can still plant it. Right, but she wasn't supposed to peel it. And then that's what I told her she should, would want to because I, I planted some in the very early spring last year and just like nothing really good. They just didn't do anything. And so um, I told her, I was like, I mean, you can put it in, but you're probably going to be fairly disappointed. Like I was like, but then onions you can plant now, right? Yeah, onions, you should be seeding onions right now, like early, early spring, late winter. And then we transplant them late April, early May, um, a little bit before the last frost, depending on where you are. Um, but back to garlic, it is it does need a cool period. And that's why you plant it in the fall. And then it has that, that chill during the winter. You can plant it in the spring and you'll get much smaller garlic. One thing we've kind of toyed with with garlic with some of our gardening friends in Hawaii is to put the garlic in the refrigerator or the freezer to, um, and in the freezer, it really has to be protected. You, you don't want it to freeze solid um, to kill it, but just getting the refrigerator works really well to get some of that cold stratification. And then you can plant it in the spring and still kind of get better garlic. Oh, maybe I'll tell her, I'll send her an email and tell her, sorry. Maybe I'll send her an email and tell her, put it in the fridge for a few days. Put it in the fridge, yeah. Okay. Uh, how about the internet? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Um, I'm really not a fan of the internet very much. It's a useful tool, but I don't really surf much. So I'm not, that's not my, it's not a resource for me. How about a book you can recommend? Um, I think, I guess a web resource and a book would be anything from the Presencing Institute and their website is presencing.org, I believe. That's back to this, how do we be present? How do we shift away from assumptions and assuming into being present and then letting new things grow? So anything on from the Presencing Institute, I highly recommend. Books, um, gardening and farming books, any of them are exciting to read. I think the, the Paralandra Garden Workbook is really exciting way to um, look into how do we co-create with our garden. So I would recommend that for sure. How do you spell that? Paralandra. Uh, I think it's P-E-R-E-L-A-N-D-R-A. So there's the Paralandra Garden Workbook. I think it's Michelle Wright. Michelle Wright Smith. I found it. Yep, you were right. P-E, that's where I was wrong. I was spelling it P-A. P-E-R-E-L-A-N-D-R-A, -E -E Garden Workbook. Awesome. I have not heard of that. I'll have to check Michelle that out. Yeah. Though it kind of looks familiar, the cover. Um, 
Well, let's see. Are we really at my final question? Yeah. So, sorry, my phone is just making annoying noises today. Uh, Laura, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? And you think, are more than welcome to promote your nonprofit. Well, thank you. I think um, there's two really important things. I think one of them is that we need to, we must stop spraying glyphosate Roundup now. Glyphosate has been proven to be a, a main factor in the destruction of our ecosystem and of our own health. And so glyphosate must go now, I think is the most important thing. Um, and then another is this idea of connecting farmers and growers and eaters with each other, that as farmers and, and gardeners, we have so much knowledge that we could be sharing with each other and should be. And that's how it always has been in the past is that knowledge was passed down person to person or through books or whatever. And um, so much of that seems to have been lost or taken from us by industrial agriculture. So reconnecting farmers to each other. And one really important um, step along that is with a, a global team, we've helped to form the Global Farmers Assembly. And so it's globalfarmersassembly.com. Um, and we're hosting monthly um, discussions for farmers to be able to connect with each other to share knowledge. That knowledge sharing, I think, is a really big part of what's maybe been lost because we we get caught up in this perception that we're com competition with each other and we we as small growers and farmers or family farms we're we aren't each other's competition it's industrial ag complex that's our competition and so we should be helping each other as much as we can so i would invite everyone to join the global farmers assembly for monthly discussions of how do we share knowledge about different topics i know the one in May, we're going to be sharing about farm hacks. So all the cool little things we've figured out in our farm and garden that make it so much easier or better that if someone had just told me that 10 years ago. So that's the kind of things we're going to share. Um, and then we're also going to share about the, the looming food crisis and, and how are we addressing that for ourselves and with each other. And then there will be um, in this late winter of 2023, we'll have a two week long global farmers assembly where we're really gonna dig deeper and share knowledge as much as we can. Um, so get rid of glyphosate, connect and share knowledge freely and generously and um, build community. And so my nonprofit Cultivating Connections, we're creating all of our programs in a way that they can be reproduced elsewhere. And so I will inv I invite people to follow our Cultivating Connections Montana website and we're Cultivating Connections MT on Facebook and Instagram um, that we really wanna share how our tools of if we're engaging kindergartners in the Kindergarteners project, how do we do that? And how do we make it easy enough for you, someone else that has a farmer garden to engage kids at your farm or how to engage community? So I guess, those are the things I really hope for us that we um, we don't spray, that we share knowledge freely and generously, and that we use food as the way we connect with each other again. Thank you. Okay, 
What about the Hamilton Farmer's Market? So the Hamilton Farmer's Market has to be one of the best farmer's markets in Missoula and, or I mean, in Montana, I'm sorry. Best farmer's market in Montana, Hamilton Farmer's Market. No offense to all the other amazing farmer's markets in Montana, but Hamilton being a small town has a hugely vibrant farmer's market that is farmers and gardeners and crafters and food and connection. And there's, I think there's close to a hundred vendors at this point um, on a nice shady street in downtown Hamilton. It is amazing. And the community aspect of the Hamilton farmer's market is so worth the effort to come to Hamilton for. And is it on Saturday morning too? Yep. It's Saturday mornings, nine to 1230 in downtown Hamilton. Awesome. I did find a really cool um, Airbnb to stay in in Missoula when I came in the fall. So having like a, a place that I know that's like, it's a full apartment and it's, it's right on Higgins Avenue. Oh um, yeah. Nice. It's really nice to, uh, to be able to have a place that, you know, that you can stay, that you can walk to places from, but oh, yeah. um, well, you can make a day of it. You can stay in Missoula and there's two amazing farmer's markets and one amazing craft market in downtown Missoula, and then drive South to Hamilton and catch the later part of the morning at the Hamilton farmer's market. And you can get your fill for the week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to give a huge shout out to Mackenzie for hooking us up because you were just such an eloquent and, and wonderful guest. And, and I feel like we're very aligned in our beliefs. And that's exactly why I do my podcast is to get this information out there. And just, I know people have learned from it and my show is a success because of amazing guests just like you Laura so thank you so much for sharing with us today and good luck with everything and listeners check out all these great resources that she shared with us okay listeners don't forget if you want to win a copy of garden variety you simply have to tag a friend on instagram and also tag christy at garden nerd and me at organic garden podcast with the hashtag garden variety book and you will be entered to win your own copy of garden variety on the fall equinox thursday september 22nd 2022 so simply just tag a friend tag christy at gardener tag me at organic garden podcast with the hashtag garden variety book and you could win your own copy of the awesome community garden novel garden variety hey listeners did you hear interview 432 i did with Parker, one of the co-founders of True Leaf Market, we talked all about the benefits of cover crops, things like um, adding biomass to your soil, green organic matter, which is, you know, one of the keys that people have talked about soil health. It will help keep your soil bacteria healthy. It will add nutrients so your food can be more nutritious for you. It will attract pollinators. They'll bring in beneficial insects that will help keep some of the pests away. It can improve soil structure, prevent erosion. I mean, we just talked about a ton of things. And um, I know that I've experimented with cover crops, but they've got an awesome garden cover crop mix. So, like, you don't have to do, like, any of the thinking. And they're giving Green Organic Garden podcast listeners 15% off cover crop seeds this fall. If you use code GOG15, you can get 15% off cover crop seeds. Some restrictions do apply. But um, it's a great deal. TrueLeafMarket.com. Use code GOG15 to get 15% off. 
Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local.